All right. Well, you know, Americans are obsessed about their weight. We've been made painfully aware that most of us are overweight and far too many are obese. We're constantly reminded of our weight and many of us are shocked by the numbers we read on our bathroom scales. So we do watch our weight and take note of what we eat. And, and that's good. That's good. But some 20 million of us go too far and get caught up in eating disorders like bulimia and anorexia. Those with bulimia go to extreme measures to get rid of what they've eaten after periodic episodes of binge eating. And those with anorexia, the irrational fear of food and gaining weight, can actually starve themselves to death. Obviously, anorexia nervosa is the most frightening physical eating disorder. Because if you stop eating long enough, you can get to the place where you can no longer eat and you die. As frightening as that is, however, there's another eating disorder that's even more dangerous. It's something we might call spiritual anorexia. When after losing your appetite for God's Word, you find yourself unable to receive spiritual nourishment, and you die spiritually. We find hints of such in our text for today, where Peter speaks of the need to grow in respect to salvation. So let's consider the failure to grow a consequence of spiritual anorexia and then explore its symptoms, its causes, and its cure. I think we can find them all in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The first symptom of spiritual anorexia is simply a loss of appetite. For God's Word. Peter begins by listing five things that must be put aside before we will long for the pure milk of the Word. Five things that will cause us to lose our appetite for God's Word. But before we get to them, we simply need to note that some have indeed lost their appetite for God's Word. Far too many Christians seldom, if ever, read the Bible. They don't take advantage of opportunities to study the Bible with others and even seem bored 
with preaching and teaching. That's not the normal response of a healthy Christian to the word that led them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter has just spoken of the fact that we have been born again through the living seed of the Word of God. He then goes on to say, therefore, like newborn babes, we should long for the pure milk of the Word. You know, a healthy baby is hungry by nature. As soon as our kids were born, they started searching for something to eat. If they hadn't, we'd have known something was wrong. And if they quit eating, we'd have rushed them back to the hospital. Likewise, the first symptom that something has gone wrong with the Christian's spiritual health is a loss of appetite for spiritual food. Soul food, if you please. (laughs) The second symptom is a failure to be satisfied with the pure milk of the Word. Now, Peter isn't making a distinction between the milk and the meat of the Word, as Paul did, when encouraging us to go on to a mature diet, to be willing to chew on spiritual truths that are sometimes hard to swallow. Peter is simply making it clear that just as the proper food for an infant is its mother's pure milk, so the desired source of nourishment for those born of the Word of God is the pure milk of the Word. That means that if you're not satisfied with the pure, unadulterated milk of the Word, there may be something wrong with you. And there are some who never seem to be content with the pure Word of God. They always want something more when they come to be fed. They want to be entertained or stimulated or exposed to some new thought or novel idea. If they're not enthralled by a clever orator or pumped full of spiritual adrenaline in some high-voltage service, they say they weren't fed. You know, we don't expect have a sugar high after a good balanced meal. So why should we expect to have a spiritual high after every spiritual feeding? That's not to say we don't all enjoy an occasional spiritual Twinkie. But if that's all we eat, we won't grow properly. There's a difference between spiritual junk food and the pure milk of the Word. If we expect to grow, we must be nourished by the pure milk of God's Word. And it's a lack of such growth that's the third symptom of spiritual anorexia. You know, one of the primary reasons for going to the doctor every month for the first six months or so of a baby's life is to make sure it's growing. It's weighed, measured, tested. There must be evidence that a newborn is growing. It's also essential that newborn babes in Christ grow. If they aren't, 
something is wrong. And we do have a spiritual scale to measure our growth. We compare ourselves to Jesus. We regularly measure ourselves by the perfect standard to see if we're becoming more like Him or not. Are we handling life and responding to pressures as He did? Do we relate to people better today than yesterday? Are we becoming more Christ-like in our attitudes and responses? And are we seeing the fruit of His Spirit develop in our life? Are we seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control increase? Is growth evident in our Christian experience? If not, we should be alarmed. Something is wrong. We may be spiritually anorexic. If we are, what caused it? We've got to find that out before we can cure it. But we've already discussed our concern for infants who stop eating. When they stop, we know something is wrong. They're sick. That's also true of adults. They, too, can get so sick that they lose their appetite. And Peter identifies five spiritual diseases that can make adult Christians lose their appetite for spiritual things. Five diseases of the Spirit, sins that inhibit the appetite for God's Word and can lead to spiritual starvation. Let's examine these pathogenic organisms that can take away our desire, our appetite for God's Word. Organisms that, if left unchecked, will lead to spiritual starvation by making us unable to digest God's Word. The first sin Peter identifies is malice. Now, the word he used can be translated in the general sense of evil or wickedness, but most feel that malice says it best. Malice is a deep-seated hatred for others. A hate that wants to hurt. Funk and Wagnalls, the big book your parents used to uh, look up definitions, defines it as an intention or desire to injure another. Specific ill will. Spite. It's used in a legal term, malice aforethought, to indicate a willfully formed design to do another injury. It is active ill will that can lead to murder, like that expressed when Cain killed Abel. Or it can be internalized, where it nourishes antagonism, builds up grudges, and secretly hopes for revenge, harm, or tragedy to overtake another. Even in that form, it usually finds expression sooner or later. It led James and John to want to consume Samaria with fire. They had no doubt hated Samaritans for years. They were taught to do so as children. They nursed their prejudices and kept track of personal offenses 
until finally, when a Samaritan city refused to receive Jesus and themselves, they cried out, Shall we call down fire from heaven and consume the city like Elijah did? They were just waiting for a chance to get back at the Samaritans. Now, it's not normal. To want to call down fire from heaven because someone doesn't welcome you into their home or city. Surely it had happened before, many times. In fact, that was the normal response of Samaritans toward Jews and Jews toward Samaritans. But this time it was different because James and John had malice in their hearts for the Samaritans. And Jesus rebuked them for the sin. How often do we overreact to someone or a situation because we're harboring malice toward them in our heart? And how often are we blinded to God's Word when it instructs us to do good for someone toward whom we have Ill will. Indeed, malice can lead us to sinful responses and cause us to lose our appetite for God's Word. The next sin is identified by a word that Peter would have understood from his fishing experience, a word that means to catch with a bait. It means deceit. Deception, trickiness, is something that Carter understood when we went fishing. And he referred to a lure as a trickster. <laughs> the term is guile. And any form of guile, dishonesty, or trickery can be identified as guile. It's used to deceive others for personal gain and is a way to manipulate others. The word is translated schemed in Matthew's gospel, where we read that the Jewish leaders schemed to seize and kill Jesus. We're always scheming to get ahead at the expense of others. We're not going to be able to digest the word of God. Not when we read of our obligation to love one another. And put others first. Guile can have a real effect on our appetite for God's Word. The third sin that Peter isolates is hypocrisy. Another interesting term that originally meant to speak out from under a mask. It was a term used in the field of Greek drama. To portray different emotions, actors would pick up the appropriate mask depicting a smile or a frown, and then speak from under the mask. The face displayed would obviously not express the true attitude of the person behind the mask. That's hypocrisy. It's insincerity, pretense, and sham offstage. Jesus defined a hypocrite when he said of the Pharisees, they say and do not do. They were deceptive, like snakes and vipers, he said. The classic examples of hypocrites are Ananias and Sapphira. They pretended 
to give all the proceeds from the sale of their farm to the church. They were actually holding back some for themselves. Now, Peter recognized that what they had was theirs to do with as they pleased. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. As a result, both of them were struck dead. Luke records that fear, fear came upon the whole church because of it. It was obvious that they couldn't play games with God. Can't help but wonder what would happen today if every time a Christian acted hypocritically, they would fall dead. I imagine things would be a bit different in our churches. They might even be empty. Now, the old country preacher had it right when he said, Be what you are and not what you ain't. Because if you ain't what you are, then you are what you think you ain't. I think I got that right. Had a hard time spelling ain't. Doesn't even show up in my correcting thing. But I think you get the point. Get the point. If we pretend to be something we're not, even our response to God's Word will be hypocritical. We'll read the Word and respond as we are expected to respond, giving the answers we know should be given. But if we're hiding behind a religious mask, our response to God's Word will be a sham. And our Bible study will be wholly unsatisfying. It doesn't work. I didn't include it in the sermon, but I got to include it. If you've been in Bible studies with me, you've heard me refer to Gray Squirrel. You're probably going, Gray Squirrel? What's that? It's a story I heard years ago that I think is so good. It illustrates this point. Apparently, there was a class sitting around a table at camp, and the kids were just spouting off religious answers without thinking. The teacher was getting very frustrated. He knew they weren't serious about what they were saying. They were just saying what they'd been programmed to say. And finally he said, all right, kids, I've got a really tough question for you. What's gray, eats nuts, has a bushy tail, and climbs trees? They were silent. He said, okay, come on now. What's gray, has a bushy tail, eats nuts, and climbs trees? Finally, one boy said, well, I want to say a gray squirrel, but I'll say Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the gray squirrel moment. <laughs> when we give the answer that we know is expected without thinking about it. It doesn't work. It leads a lack of appetite for God's Word. The fourth sin that Peter mentions is envy. A dictionary of biblical words defines envy as feelings of displeasure produced by observing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. It sounds like our society today, does it not? It's feeling ill toward someone else's blessing. It's barefaced jealousy. 
Envy destroys happiness and destroys peace of mind. It destroys family relationships and our relationship to God. It can even motivate to murder. From a human standpoint, it brought about the death of Jesus. Mark tells us that even Pilate was aware that the Jewish leaders called for Jesus' death because of envy. In the King James Version, Proverbs 14.30 refers to it as rottenness of bones, a cancer that eats up from within. It's the fruit of selfishness. And as long as self remains active in a man's heart, envy will be there. Because envy can die only when self dies. If self hasn't died, then the Spirit of God cannot be at the center of our life. And if the Spirit isn't within us, enlightening us, we'll not be able to understand or apply or digest God's Word. Final cause of spiritual malnutrition is slander. Speaking against someone, defaming, gossiping, backbiting. You know, the Bible says more about slander and gossip than any other sin. It's an attempt to make self look clean by slinging mud at someone else. It's the fruit of envy in the heart. And, sad to say, much of it goes on even in the context of the church under the pretense of concern, the need to be informed or to pray specifically for someone. We want the details. It should be obvious. That we can't feast on the pure word of God while distorting truth and speaking evil of others. These semi-secret sins of the Spirit, malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, will all blunt our taste for the word of God and inhibit our appetite. And they can lead spiritual anorexia. So what's the cure? Well, the cure, quite simply, is to put these sins aside. Or as the Greek really indicates, to strip them off. These sins must be stripped off as one would strip off dirty clothes. Since they've been identified... Isolated as deadly sins of the Spirit, we need to take biblical action against them. And we do have the power through Christ over sin. He died to conquer sin, to free us from its bondage. That doesn't just mean so we can go to heaven. It means so we can live like Christ. We need to claim His victory. Over these sins. And don't kid yourself. Christ can give victory over any sin or habit pattern that expresses sin. It is possible to strip off any sin 
from our life. It may not be easy, but it can be done. The Apostle John made it clear that if we will confess our sins, Christ will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've got to strip them off and taste again the kindness of the Lord. We've got to find anew His fresh cleansing power for our life. We've got to once again experience His kindness expressed beautifully to us. Now, there's something interesting about the word translated kindness. It's derived from an Old Testament term that speaks of God's loyalty to His promises. Peter is saying if we'll break from our sins and get back into the Word, drink it, digest it, and incorporate it into our life, that God will honor His Word. He'll be loyal, faithful to the promises He's made in it. He'll do what He says. He will forgive us. He will empower us. He will bless us, and that will make us hungry for more. We need to taste again the kindness of the Lord to regain our appetite for His Word. And then, as our appetite returns and our spirits are nourished, once again, we can begin to grow in respect to salvation. We'll get back on course, becoming what He intends for us to be. And we must never forget that we are to keep growing into the image of Christ until He returns for us. If we're not, if when you honestly evaluate your Christian walk, you discover that you are not growing spiritually. You may very well be dying spiritually. Starving to death. Committing spiritual suicide. Christ came to bring life, not death. And the only way to be cured of spiritual anorexia is to be cleansed of the sin that's killing us. That cleansing is available. If we'll come out from behind our masks and ask Him to search our hearts and to then cleanse us from every sin, 